So how this project came up was actually the internet is still mostly for human users and internet is a service. So the real signal is its customers, basically. If it's not working for human users and if we could somehow learn this, this is the healthiest signal because it's not coming up from some kinds of machines, but it's really coming up from an experience. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by APNIC discussing all things relating to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This time, we've got the last of the recordings made when Robbie Mitchell was still in the chair. And we're talking to Egyer Jamkirje, who is originally from Istanbul and who is doing a PhD at ETH Zurich in Switzerland. Egyer had just presented a research paper titled, Is My Internet Down? at the IMC conference held at the end of October in Nice. Ege, welcome to Ping. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us here. We found you through the recent AMC IMC submissions and you presented at IMC only just last week, didn't you? Yes, I did. It was last week. And how was the experience? I th- the experience was great. It was my first physical conference. Before that, there was also a virtual conference where I had to present actually just a week earlier than that. And the interaction engagement was way different when it wasn't physical. I really enjoyed it. I met some of the people that I, I maybe read 50, 60 papers of them. And then I, when I meet them in real life, it, it was a great experience. It can be uh, daunting, can't it, that you feel like you know these people because you've seen their name and you've read all their papers and to see them in real life, you can sometimes, yeah, I guess it can be daunting, can't it? Was it relaxing though once you could understand that these people were approachable? I think they are very approachable people in general and at the very beginning when you first meet them, it's a bit weird because as you say, I feel like I know them so well but they don't know me at all. They just ask my name and I tell them my name and so on. But after a couple of minutes, I think it was all relaxed, uh, chill. And I mean, we had nice conversations. Maybe we will have some collaborations in the future. And one is about this paper as well, which we can discuss later on, I guess. Yes, yeah, we'll get to that. So let's dive into the paper. So the paper is entitled, Is My Internet Down?, sifting through user-affecting outages with Google Trends. Now, what caught our attention was this using Google Trends. We'll first start with, give us a bit of a background as to what the usual manner is measuring internet outages and how this research came about gravitating towards using Google Trends. So first of all, yes, as you say, there are multiple different ways of measuring internet outages and they all somehow extract different kinds of signals and based on different signal the interpretation of, is of course different because they work on diff- different signals basically so the first one is the most popular one i believe is active probing which is basically probing in the data plane with actively crafted packets probing around the internet such that if you don't get a response from this other end node you interpret this unresponsiveness, let's say, as a proxy for their unavailability. So you have multiple vantage points. 
if all these vantage points or a subset of them cannot get a response, they just interpret the absence of the signal as their unavailability, let's say. Another one is in the control plane, which is passively monitoring, let's say, some control plane signals that you receive from those subnets of those end nodes, let's say. And if you decide from your vantage point that there is a problem with the control plane signals that you're receiving, you decide that destination subnet is somehow unreachable for you. And you again interpret unreachability in this case as a form of unavailability. So in one case, there is this unresponsiveness, which could originate from different reasons than just being unavailable. And two examples of these are, it could be a mobile network, let's say, and mobile devices usually don't respond to ping messages. So there is this unresponsiveness, but it doesn't imply that they are unavailable. They might be perfectly healthy networks, but you don't get a response. In the other case, from the control plane, it might be unreachable for you, but still for the most of the internet, like very well be communicating with the rest of the internet, but just because your vantage point is in some unfortunate position, let's say, they are unreachable for you, but their internet is fine for them because maybe they don't even like to reach to your location. So how this project came up was, actually the internet is still mostly for human users and internet is a service. So the real signal is its customers, basically. If it's not working for, human users, and if we could somehow learn this, this is the healthiest signal because it's not coming up from some kinds of machines, but it's really coming up from an experience. And it's actually very interesting how we first came up with this idea. On 4th of October, one year ago, there was a huge Facebook outage. Perhaps you remember it. I was just going to say, for our listeners who, who aren't aware, uh, Jeff Houston, our chief scientist, he uh, covered that in one of our earlier episodes. And obviously, go back and listen to that uh, because it's hilarious as well as tragic for what happened with Facebook. But yes, please continue. And on that day, I was going through the news and I saw in the news, it's BGP failed, this happened, that happened. And I then looked at my messages. And many of my friends, because they know I do a PhD in, in the internet, they ask, what is BGP? Why is it not working? And so, and I, on that day, I realized like for a very long time, no one asked me how internet works, but it didn't work for some specific point and everybody asked why it didn't work. So I just thought we take this for granted as a service. And when it doesn't work, it really annoys us. But when it works, we mostly don't even think about it. So I just thought it could be that for users, let's say, the signal is actually somehow reversed. And we give out a signal when the internet doesn't work because it annoys us so much. But we don't really think about it that much when it's uh, perfectly healthy and we just go about our life, daily life. Before that, I already knew Google Trends existed. And just maybe to give a summary, Google Trends is just an aggregation service. It's the statistics of, as a user of Google Trends, you give a location and a time. And Google Trends somehow lays out aggregated statistics about people's uh, searches. So there are two abstraction levels in Google Trends. You could search for complete search queries, 
which are like just a human readable way, just what people really searched for. Or you can search for statistics of topics. And topics are like, they're just, I don't know if you use Twitter, they, you can just assume them as hashtags. So for every human query, Google attaches hashtags to those queries. So let's say if you ask for uh, Verizon customer support, the hashtags would be Verizon or internet outage, let's say, or internet failure. And Google does that in an automated way. So I first looked for stuff like Verizon, BGP, DNS, whatever. But a couple of days later, after I understood that it's a bit better, um, I just found out there is actually a topic for internet outage. In the background, Google already does this. And we just started following that signal. Okay. You say Google already does this. You're talking about Google researchers or technicians are actually following the Google trends for outages and just to probably, I guess, double checking to see if it's their fault versus if it's something else in the world that's affecting the internet at the time? I mean, it is not for outages. The way I understand it is there is something called Google Knowledge Graph. And from their ad services to Google Maps to, I mean, for everything, basically, they try to understand what people are searching for. So the Internet outage topic is just one of these topics, but there is a topic for Donald Trump. There is a topic for, so the service is not for, in any way, Internet outages. Right, but at at some level, what this means is that the searches for Internet outages, there are enough of them that they appear high in the semantic web analysis of search terms and they appear as a visible signal in the Google data set. So it's kind of like an automatic confirmation you were onto something, right? Because if you can see the signals there, you know there's data to go looking for. Yes, yes, I agree. I guess this is a really complementary tool whereby it's offering a new perspective to the measurement community, which is what they've actually been really wanting to get is that real end of pipe perspective and feedback. And Google Trends seems to be able to offer that to the measurement community. So first of all, before we started this study, we got some permissions from Google Trends. I am not sure if they intend to extend their service in a way that it helps people understand internet outages or so. Because in our case, although we got permissions to use Google Trends and extract their data, we haven't used any privileged functions or anything. So it's just an open source tool. So we basically scrapped their web interface, actually. So there is not even an official API for this. So my impression was, after talking to some Google people, they intend this more in the sense that people wonder about things and go on and check, but not as a data source for production level, let's say, systems. This could, of course, change, but at the moment, it's more that we extract it, process it ourselves. It's not that they give a full pipeline for us to really tap into and analyze. Okay. Maybe you'd want to actually talk about the extraction process, actually. That would have been quite challenging, would it? Yes, it was. So the thing is, there are certain types of limitations with Google Trends. And the first one is, in a one query, it allows you to either see a long time range, but in a less fine granular way, or allows you to see in a very fine granular way, 
very small time range. So in our case, for example, we were interested in an early data. You also mentioned this is complementary to some of the other systems that we discussed at the very beginning. Most of those other tools are much more fine granular, of course, because they have more information about the network. There are upside and downside, so those systems are indeed complementary. But one weakness of our system is the data sources on an hourly basis. And even for the hourly basis, Google Trends actually allows you to get a one week of data. And the problem is because they return this one week of data in a normalized way, if you start fetching consecutive weeks of data, they're all normalized within themselves, but you don't get a complete view of the full time range. So there are ways of doing this in a rigorous way. As an example, you can fetch this weekly normalized data overlapping and consecutive way, such that the overlaps can give you an idea about how you should rescale the data such that they start stitching up on each other. It requires more fetches and it requires, so one other problem was we got IP blocked because they, at some point they realized we were fetching a lot of data. So another hardness was we had to, in a parallel way, make our queries from different machines, somehow orchestrate them and store them in a central database. So there were all of these technical challenges. But in the very end, I believe the last technical challenge was once you renormalize and construct this continuous curve, this continuous timeline, let's say for a full year, with human eye, you see that there are spikes in that data. Most of that data is just basically zero. But the problem is, so this is called change point detection in control theory. What you like to do is actually you try to find the points where there's something unexpected happens. It's the point that there is this unusual event, which is an internet outage, because people usually don't search about it. You're looking for a rate of change in query rate as a signal, like a second order function, a derivative, rather than the direct signal to get an indication of a, a rising trend to detect one of these things. Yes. And the thing is, like the way it's done today is because most signals that are being tracked are they somehow exhibit uh, seasonality or yeah, a, they have a, periodicity so you can apply yeah. a function to get a trend where to look but you're looking for almost random kind of stochastic outcomes you don't have that signal to look for yes so this was one of the challenges because at the very beginning whatever methodology we searched for, let's say, they all require you to model that signal somehow. And for modeling it, they require you to have idea about its probability distribution or yeah. uh, the seasonality of the signal. But in our case, because it is an unexpected event by its nature, there is no underlying hints or seasons that we are tracking. Well, I, I think if you put winter storm in, you could probably predict it's going to be happening between November and January, right? But that's kind of different, isn't it? Yes. For winter storms, I definitely agree. For internet outages, fortunately, we looked a bit into it, and it appears to be random. 
I take some heart from that because if it was periodic and predictable, we'd have a very great concern about what effect in a network at scale was causing it. If they're genuinely random, then it is genuine chance about failure. I think that's a better place to be. I definitely agree. And the thing is, we came up with a method. It actually comes from topography. And the thing is, for mountains, real physical mountains, there is a way to distinguish summits from peaks. Just for me to intuitively explain it, it might be that there are multiple peaks, but they are close to each other. Those multiple peaks represent a single summit. But it could also be that there are two peaks, there is enough a plateau between them, let's say, that's on a lower latitude. As a result, you understand that those two peaks represent two different summits. So in our case, the signals are very much like this, because in our case, we don't just want to detect the events, the individual spikes, but also for how long they last. And as an example to this is, some cases, people search for those spikes for one or two hours, which is like, let's say, two data points. But in some cases, they search for it for 10 data points for 10 consecutive hours. But we also don't like this 10 hours to look like 10 different events because they are continuous. They are actually, we assume, let's say, they are part of this single problem that lasted for 10 hours, let's say. So this was another challenge to distinguish events and how long they take, let's say. Hmm. Your paper has a quite interesting middle section where you look at the top set of events that represented this huge majority of searches you saw. And it's a quite interesting mixture of different kinds of outage. And I think that goes to a qualitative sense that for a user, it all looks the same, right? For a user, Fastly being down or Verizon being down, it still means the internet is down. Whereas for technologists, we see these as being two really quite different things, don't we? But your technique is able to see all of power outage and ISP outage and mobile system outage and content provider outage and Facebook outage. You saw all of it. Yes, I think there are two things there. So the first one is our definition of an internet outage is more relaxed than the previous methodologies, I believe. How we achieve this is that if you do uh, network measurements to detect internet outages, the thing that you can observe is basically uh, starts and ends with the network. It could be that YouTube having a data corruption in its backend and the service is down, but it has nothing to do with the network itself. From the network's perspective, it's completely healthy. But from, again, a user's perspective or a customer's perspective, if today YouTube is down, for many people, internet had a problem that day. I think YouTube is part of the internet. But the previous methods did not allow this because their signals are more constrained, let's say, or very rigidly defined. In our case, one other method we use is Google actually, other than this aggregation, the statistics service, another functionality of Google, which helped us a lot, and I find it very interesting as well. One searches for specific time point and a location. Google also recommends things that appeared there and especially recommends stuff that trending there. So the name of the service is Rising Suggestions. 
And if I go for Texas today and search for today, let's say, whatever I search for, they also give me, for the moment that you search, for the location that you search, those people were also searching for those stuff, those other stuff. This helped us was we tracked internet outage topic, but when we focused in the place that it really spiked and asked for the rising suggestions, actually Verizon or YouTube or let's say thunderstorms appear there because in their local scope, thunderstorms were also a huge event for them, which gives us ideas about how to contextualize and annotate the events with what's going on there. So what you're trying to do is also map, I guess, other search terms at that time, or are you also mapping uh, common, I guess, outage impacts? So whether you're looking also for power outage alerts or you're looking for alerts from NOG lists. So are you trying to layer the different things? So you've got your, obviously, outage list. You're also putting on another Google trend to see that at that same time there was a uh, search for why is the power out or are you looking for, oh, no, thunderstorms, Texas? And this is a preliminary work. So let me briefly discuss first what we do and next maybe what can also be done on top of this. Mm-hmm. So, so far, the paper was about we tracked the internet outage topic. And for the points that we detect that there is potentially an internet outage, we asked for what else trended there. And we annotated our spike with those trending other queries or slash topics, let's say. It could be more reliable, maybe, or could even give us more insights if we had also tracked all these things that appeared as rising at those points of interest, let's say. So as an example, we could also just as tracking internet outages, we could track Verizon, or we could track YouTube or thunderstorms. And we would have much more uh, full signals instead of just focusing on outage points and asking for what people were searching there. The problem was, unfortunately, with all this IP blocking and the remaining time to the conference, fetching those signals for multiple years takes time because there is a serious rate limiting going on from Google's end. And also coming back to the conference, one feedback we got was, I think people in general like the idea, but there was one person that actually was coming from a nonprofit in US that focuses on censorship and tracking the world and looking for censorship events and documenting events of censorship. So she said, actually, they deploy many forms of network measurements to detect censorship events. But in the end, because it's a sensitive topic, if there are multiple ways of detecting the same event in a transparent way, it would make a stronger argument. And she actually said, maybe it's not just Google. We can also discuss this. There might be other services that enables us crowdsource in a passive manner, let's say. Can we combine all these? And could it be that people in a specific country, let's say, Could it be that they actually, different services, they search about, they are getting censored. And at the times of these censorships, these events also spike. And maybe we could, as an orthogonal way, by mining their user feedback, 
we could get another way of detecting not just outages, but also maybe censorship events. I think it's very likely that your heuristic for detection of peak events distinguished from other events and the approach of doing a wide-grained search, renormalizing the data, and then being able to apply population analysis to a longer window. I think it's very, very likely you could use it to detect other forms of outage. And I'm kind of hypothesizing here, if we imagine an economy that is having a censorship event for some reason, most economies like this have a diaspora. There's a community that live overseas. So there is both the in-country measurement, the in-economy measurement, where you would potentially see people saying, I can't get out, and you would see the out-country references to people trying to get in. Why can't I get to my daughter in this country? And so I think your approach is capable of analyzing those qualities across search engines and doing quite a good job of location. It's a really interesting technique. I did wonder if potentially some of your results about the locality of events had a component of population skew. Do you know if Google adjusts for population density? Because the population in Texas or in Oklahoma, where the storms are, is really very, very different to California or New York. So are they doing some kind of adjustment to take account of this? I believe yes. So let me first explain what I understand from how they do this. And then because we also have other hypotheses that we couldn't really prove, but sort of indicates that this could still be a problem. So first of all, because the normalization is done in a way that for a given data point, its popularity index is the proportion of search term that we are looking for. It's scale uh, relative. It's not an absolute. It's a relative measure against the body of queries at that time. Right? Yes. Yes. It is already been normalized in an actual very smart way. Because what they do is for any data point that they feed as a popularity, they define popularity as a proportion of those searches at that location and at that time. And what that means is when you create a timeline of this search term, that timeline at each point it's been normalized against that specific point what you actually see is the change of its popularity it could be that the absolute number of searches are increasing but the popularity is actually decreasing if it is at noon versus some prime time for the internet the noon absolute searches for internet outages could be let's say 100 but it could be a, a huge amount of searches for that given time of the day, which could indicate that something is going on regarding internet outages. Everybody is more or less online, let's say. A hundred searches of internet outages could mean that it's just noise. Sure, so there, they, will be more, there will be more people searching for Taylor Smith than there will be people searching for internet outages. Yeah. Yeah. But one observation we had was we looked for all these spikes and all these events, all these points that we assumed there's an indication that there was an internet outage. And the most outages that we observed were actually for the US, they were also in the most populous regions. So let's say the most outages we observed was in California or in Texas. So it was not in Nevada, let's say. So there could be multiple reasons for this. They either implement 
wrong what they argue, which I think is a very low possibility. So I don't think the reason is really there is more people there, so there is more internet outages. But the reason actually could be that because there are more people there, the internet infrastructure is more complex or there are more networks there. There are more people, there are more subnets, more internet companies, logical internet nodes. If there are more of them there, of course, if the possibility of failure is uniform among everywhere, California would be seeing more problems. So it could be that the normalization works well, uh, but it's just that bigger cities, bigger states just see more problems. Well, there's also the possibility that in these population centers, people have diversity of ISP. So if their phone service is Verizon, they will be using Comcast for video. If they have AT&T or a fiber service, they might be using a different provider for telephony. And it means they can use the other technique to do the search for the one that they think is broken. Whereas in other parts of America, it's a single provider world. You get everything as a bundled service, which means when it's out, you can't search. Yeah. This I got asked also in the conference. So they basically said, if I have an internet outage, how do I even search about it? And I think there are also multiple answers to this. The first possibility is usually we have two providers. As you said, one is a mobile connection and one is a landline connection. And if one is down, it could very well be that from the other one I search why I'm having a problem. It could be that the signals we get are a bit lagged in the sense that maybe you lose your connection for one or two hours and then when it comes back, you search about it. And a third way also could be companies like Google, they spread around the internet, like they are very close to the customers. So it could be that their point of presence, first point that your query reaches, let's say, all these measurement studies show that it's for many people, it's a close point. It could be that I am having a problem. It's just that Google is so closer to me that it's somehow not affected from the problem. As an example, I might be searching about Twitch being down. In that case, Google would still be up. So it's also not always that we lose connection to Google. So you've talked about in large populations, there's larger network density, more complexity, and that could be one hypothesis as to why there are outages or why there is a peak in searches at that time. But the paper really draws conclusion that the larger outages are related to power outages or natural disasters. You say that it's an exciting finding. What, why is that? Yes, so there are multiple things there again. So first of all, we define impact. Of course, we look for some metrics, some indicators, and we try to extract some meaning out of them. So in our case, we just say the duration of people's this periods of aggressive searches, if it is two hours or 10 hours, for us, we take it as an indication of how long outage went on. So first of all, we just found out that around 10% of outages took three hours or longer, and around 90% of them were just spikes of a single hour or two consecutive hours. So assuming that this indicator makes sense, we then went on with our context evaluation, that this rising suggestion contexts. 
And one thing that's actually quite popular that keeps on appearing is uh, the topic of power outage. So when this internet outage spikes happen, there are many cases where it's annotated with a power outage. But when we look into the distribution of this, for outages that took five hours or longer, this annotation of power outages was compared to the previous other hours, like one, two, three, four hours, five hours or longer was very much annotated with power outages, I think to the point that 70% or something like that. After this, we looked for other annotations for this five hours or longer durations. And along with this power outage topic, we also saw in many of these cases, there is some type of a natural disaster that's annotating these long events. So our hypothesis was at that point was there are two types of basically problems in the internet, let's say. The logical problems, which could be a misconfiguration of a router or some data corruption. I mean, something digital. Let's say those are logical problems and physical problems. But the problem is with other detection methods, because the methods come from within the internet, even physical problems appear to be logical because the, what signal sees there is some kind of a loss of signal. I mean, it's hard to know if it is because some thunderstorm destroyed some data center or it's because there's a misconfiguration. So the interesting part for me that just claim was, of course, this is very hard to prove concretely, but the claim was there is a very long tail of this impact of outages. And when the outages are really, really bad, it could be that it comes from physical problems that might be, in many cases, natural disasters. Wildfires, thunderstorms, floods, events such as that. And this is why we said, could climate change be actually impacting reliability of the internet? It is a very sobering place to come to when you realize that all the engineering for resiliency, dual path, extra batteries, extra diesel generators, we appear to understand the class of event these things can work for. And it feels like you're saying a one-hour event, a two-hour event, a three-hour event, we appear able to plan for this and we can start to say this happened and these were the constraints, but we brought it back. But you bring nature to bear and it can flip to a mode where it's out and it's bad. And so having a signal, well, there's going to be a lot more nature in the network. That is very concerning. I agree. Let's say it's a call for the research community to maybe look more into this and try to plan more for this in the coming years. Because one thing we mention as future work is, since we now understand that there is a possibility of another infrastructure, like let's say the power infrastructure, having a negative effect on the internet, and that infrastructure being vulnerable to natural disasters and so, could there even at some point be an internet uh, that's maybe decoupled from the power infrastructure? Could we imagine some internet for hard times that can even function without having a functioning power infrastructure, let's say, because communication is also something very vital. 
Yeah, this is something that in New Zealand, for instance, has been considered for the National Geophysical Survey that does earthquake monitoring, and they have structured their internet communications for their remote monitors to have three different types of internet connection, a high bandwidth landline connection that gives them the data when it can, an ultra low bandwidth radio wave communication that can be used for control and telemetry to get emergency signals and for a small number of points, satellite communication, so that even if there is complete disruption, they still have a path out. And a lot of people in the meeting were sitting there saying, wow, three kinds of communication infrastructure. My cost of providing has just gone through the roof. But I think what you're saying is we maybe have to start talking about this more seriously. I hope people just answers the call, let's say. It's something that's uh, echoed by a recent keynote speaker at APNIC 54, Tobias Feibig, and his 13 propositions on the internet for a burning world, where we do need to start to think about the redundancy and sustainability of the internet. So this really does add more data to that, showing that, yeah, we've set it up and it is quite amazing how resilient the internet is. I mean, we look at the way it has been able to cope with COVID, but At the end of the day, it still will get knocked out if the switch goes out and if we don't have the redundancy in place to look after that, then we're at the mercy of A, whoever your local energy supplier is or whoever the local energy supplier is uh, powering the local CDN or switches or B, Mother Nature. I mean, frankly, the more I learn about the internet, the more surprised I am that it already works so well. So I think at this point, my thinking is that it already works very well. It is already very reliable. But I think it all depends on your perspective because it was maybe a decade ago or so, the internet was something that we visit for entertainment or we visit for our leisure time, let's say. And then it became something that we were always online. And then it came to a point that even when we're not online, some physical service that we use, let's say the transportation, fails because it somehow has to connect to the internet. So it now affects even our daily physical lives. So the reliability is a relative thing. I believe in some Google talk, it was a keynote. It's already 99.5% reliable. And but the expectation is to have 99.999% availability at some point, because now we need it to be that reliable. But in this case, the difference could be coming from this, all these, as you said, this natural disasters to misconfigurations. And all of a sudden, the problem is much larger than we previously thought about. No, I totally agree on that. Wind it back, just to finish off. Where do you see this research uh, continuing, particularly with the use of Google Trends and how it can be laid upon network measurements to continue in terms of giving us a, a greater perspective of the health of the internet? So I believe there are two directions. So the first one, we want to stick with this passive crowdsourcing idea, but want to extend it through the world. And there are two components to this. I believe one is doing the same thing, but for other search engines such that for every country, there will be some type of 
a signal that's enough for us to uh, come up with those analysis. Because in US, the reason why we picked US was US is fully Google dominated in its search. So it should be something out 95% of searches in US is Google. So it's pretty unbiased, but it's not the case for many countries. So first of all, extending this to other search engines. Second of all, we are looking for different sources of data. And the first thing that comes to mind is Twitter, of course. We like to merge the searches with Twitter. And maybe depending on how far we go, there are new suggestions, could be other services. The second direction is not ex like other than extending the service, we also want to make some progress with validation. First of all, it's hard to validate internet outages. And one problem is, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the talk, different methods use different signals and interpret or detect different failures. And in the end, if a tool really does something that other tools do not capture, then what tool is supposed to validate this tool? Because if your argument is the other tools don't capture the type of outages that we capture, then how do you validate your own tool? So in this study, we did this manually. We just looked for many, many news where we could, for those spikes, we could find a news mentioning that day, those hours for that location, mentioning why it happened, so on. But first of all, of course, it's manual, so it's not ideal at all. And the second of all, only very important outages appear in news. So although we see that for the big outages, we could validate them. For the smaller ones, news don't help because they also don't cover it because it wasn't that important, let's say. So we also have work to do with validation. And there we plan to validate our results with some active, active data probing approach that I mentioned at the very beginning of the talk and somehow map our signals, which is more location-based, geolocation-based, let's say, to some signals coming from active probing measurements that are prefix or subnet-based. So there is this open risk, like there is this future work in trying to map prefixes or subnets to locations and converge those two data sets and try to validate one against the other. Yeah, I think your work has a lot of life in it. I think if you can take this technique into some correlation into other mechanisms and put in that value against network prefix and using other search engines, getting coverage over other parts of the world, I think this work has a long and happy future ahead of it. And I think it'll be really lovely to hear from you again about how this work progresses and what new things you find in it. So thank you very much for coming along and telling us about the project. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure for me. If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email to ping at apnic.net or via the APNIC social media channels. Also, remember the measurement at apnic.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, or to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time. <laughs>